Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. back to the Life After Business podcast. Today's guest name is Travis Steffen. Travis has gone through seven successful exits already, and he shares with us some of the pros and cons of his exits, what he learned on one of his botched exits, and he helps us understand what builds a valuable business by systematizing the things in service-based businesses that we're already doing. And Travis and I also had a really interesting conversation around finding your passion, your purpose outside of just the dollar amounts and understanding how to find happiness as an entrepreneur when you're always chasing the next best thing. And we wrap up the episode with some top advice that he's got for entrepreneurs as they're thinking about exiting and some things that they should do before they go to market. So without further ado, here's my episode with Travis. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by The Value Advantage. The Value Advantage is a platform delivered via peer groups and or one-on-one to help you build a valuable company that can thrive without you while putting an exit plan in place so you have the options to sell when you want, to who you want, for how much you want. You're able to manage the business by the numbers, work in the business as much or as little as you want, and you fully understand how the business impacts your personal financials. If you want to know more, check out the show notes or the website. Travis, how are you doing today? Doing great. I'm uh, looking forward to having you on the show. You've got quite the resume of a, a handful of successful exits at a, at a young age, and um, you've got multiple different journeys to kind of walk us through. But you know, for the audience, maybe take us back to the day that you decided to become an entrepreneur for the first time and how you decided to jump full force into it. Yeah, okay. Uh, so the very first time I decided to become an entrepreneur, Seriously, everybody has their little childhood stories of the lemonade stand or things along that those lines as a kid. But the actual real story for me was I was in college. I was at the time simultaneously uh, just had turned pro in my mixed martial arts career. And I was in grad school. I was also playing professional online poker. So I was making a little bit of money doing some fun things. Uh, but I, I didn't feel a whole lot of a sense of stability or long-term sustainability in the things that I was doing. And I'd always thought about potentially starting a business and decided I wanted to start one with a few of my friends building bed lofts in the dorms. <laughs> oh and gosh. We, Did you guys have like those, uh, those wooden ones that would go in like frames and stuff like that? Yeah, we were going to actually. We, were, we had this whole plan. A few friends of mine had built their own bed lofts that actually were big frames that ran across the ceiling and then hung from the ceiling from chains. Mm-hmm. And they freed up a lot of room in the actual dorm living area in contrast to the ones with stilts. And we decided we were going to start that company and we got pretty far down the rabbit hole, bought a bunch of materials, and then we realized that the university would not sell us their mailing list uh, people who were moving into the dorms because they had an exclusive contract with bedlofts.com. So that idea went out the window. But while those guys were content giving up on the entrepreneurial dream, I decided, well, if it's not this, it's got to be something else. That day I saw the the time, it was a short-lived show, but I think two seasons it ran. It was called The Tap Out Show. And I was 
fighting at the time and, and tap out at the time, this was in I think 2008 or 2009, they were like the Nike of mixed martial arts. Mm. So every fighter knew who they were and looked up to them and, and, uh, they were huge. And that, you know, I believe at their height, they did about 500 million annually. And I saw the guys and they were tattooed and they weren't, they had no traditional like NBA background. And that I, I saw them and I said, wow, that it looks a lot like me, but I feel like I'm a lot smarter than they are. (laughs) And so I decided I was going to start a business that was effectively a tap out clone. And it was a, a mixed martial arts apparel and, and, and equipment company. And I started that company in 2009. Uh, I started it with my student loans funding the company oh, nice. and a few visa cards and, and basically was desensitized completely to risk through online poker. Uh, I was a coach on some of the, top online poker training sites i my first book was published when i was 21 years old on online poker it was also my graduate thesis so i had been completely desensitized to all things risk and that i I pretty much still am today um which has served me very well and also not so well at times i like i like how you referenced it as like the the search for stability too <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oddly hmm, we got you know yeah. entrepreneurs have different definitions that of that. Right? Is still happening. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so that was my first taste of entrepreneurship. I did not know what I was doing. I had no business background. My graduate degree that I was about to get was in exercise physiology and biomechanics, so it was not at all anything to do with business. So I basically had to learn by messing up, by reading blog posts, by reading books that company was not incredibly profitable, but we did end up selling it for about break even at the end of the day. So, and I went through a couple of different business partners with that. Um, I was in college. So a few of them just were not in it for the right reasons. They wanted to look cool out at the bar and say that they had a company or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And I was actually serious about doing the work behind the scenes that nobody really cared about. So I would buy them out. You know, one I bought out for $500, the other one I bought out for $5,000 at one point and so like they both were completely content at the time with with um selling their stake in it because it wasn't really that big of a company we mm-hmm. drove around to all the small fight shows in the midwest sold t-shirts out of out of our trunk um set up booths with like folding tables and we basically would do that every single weekend and had an office on campus that the university gave me they gave me a computer and um, they gave me some, some access to some folks on campus that knew what they were doing. So that was helpful and things just started from there. So, um, going from, you know, your first venture like that into, you've had a total of seven successful exits. Um, mm-hmm. maybe walk us through, cause I, I, other than hitting all of them in, in detail, I think, you know, pulling the trends because a lot of, uh, a lot of listeners and a lot of entrepreneurs don't go through that many exits, mm-hmm. especially at your age. And so, you know, what was the, the various different types of businesses that you've run and, you know, how did you get into each of them? And then we can kind of maybe take all of them in the whole journey, if that makes sense. Yeah, great question. Um, well, they, my first one was actually a, a company that involved physical product. That's the last company that I've run that has involved physical product. I on decided purpose. I didn't want anything to do with, on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want anything to do with inventory or shipping or anything like that. Not that it's not a good business. I just didn't really enjoy that part of the company as much as 
building things and seeing people do things and looking at analytics and dissecting user psychology and um, conceptualizing service offerings that could be created from mm-hmm. my brain and translated into value. So that was um, the evolution into the next stage, which was I, at the time I knew fitness, I knew training. I was, I was training some guys for the NFL draft. I was training, I trained a former UFC champion. I myself was a professional athlete. I was a division one college athlete. I love fitness so much still to this day. So a few of the companies that I started earlier on were in the fitness space. Uh, it, it, it allowed me to blend something that I knew very well with something that I didn't know at all. But over the course of time, I got pretty burnt out in, in fitness. And around that same time, I sold one of, one of two fitness companies I had been running and got non-competed in both of them. So kind of had no choice but to go out and figure something else out in business. So what type of uh, business, what, what type, were they online marketing courses, training? What exactly, what, what, what kind of businesses were they? No, I, I actually haven't gotten into the courses business until recently. And I still can't really say that, I, that I'm in it. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the first companies that I, the first other company I ran after the clothing company um, was kind of like an online fitness instruction company. And we basically just sold fitness programs on the internet. We were discoverable on Google. SEO was our primary mode of marketing, but we were product guys in the early days. My partner, Simon Turner and I, who, who just found me because I was posting on internet business forums, just asking people for help. And I, I just was asking questions and wasn't really sure what I was doing, but I had a couple of sites that I had put on my, my credit card that I had gotten built because I didn't know about, I didn't know anything about coding or building anything mm-hmm. or, or business in general. So I was just asking as many questions as I could, taking it step by step. And um, we ended up joining forces and we ran companies together for about five or six years after that. And we ended up running two different companies, probably three, actually three different companies together. One of them was short-lived that we resigned from, but two of them we sold. One of them was that fitness company. It was called Workout Box. And we ended up building that. At, at, at its height, it was one of the top fitness sites on Google. We ranked in the top three for keywords like exercises and wow. workouts. And so we did pretty well just on that. And, and because of that, because of Simon's incredible SEO ability at the time, we didn't have to learn anything about marketing. We didn't have to learn. I mean, people just came to us. And we just, they just found us because they were searching and we were there. That's so amazing. we just had to you know, try to figure out how to convert them more effectively. So we just did crash courses in conversion optimization. This was in the very early days of Google Website Optimizer and pre-Optimizely and pre-any of those other tools. And so we, we just tried a lot of different things. And um, that industry was so new that, that um, you know, we made our living doing that for a while. We had a small team and inevitably sold the company because we got obsessed with other ideas. But I was always running other projects on the side, kind of in tandem with those you know, building them up a little bit and then flipping them kind of like someone would flip houses. And it wasn't because they were ready to sell. It was just, that was the way that I was learning. So mm-hmm. the, the little label that I've gotten online of, of having, you know, seven acquisitions sounds great, but, but it's a little bit overinflated. I'll be honest. It's um, because I would proactively sell a few of them uh, after they got to you know six figures in revenue annually, I would be like, all right, you know what? I've, I've learned all I can from this one. I don't know that I want to be in this business long term, but 
but I know that someone does and mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to sell it. So, um, there was also another scenario where we just didn't have the necessary licensure to run like one of the applications was at the time. And I didn't know it, um, but it was kind of a blend between <laughs> Venmo and Bitcoin. It was, <laughs> there was nothing that existed in the financial institution at that time that would have allowed us to operate legally in the United States. And our oh, lawyer basically said, said um, you're not a, a money remitter, you're not a payment processor, and you're doing some things, basically creating your own currency to avoid transaction fees for your customers, you're going to have to go raise some money if you want to have this sort of licensure. And I didn't know anything about raising money. No one in their right mind should have given me any money at that time. <laughs> but the app worked really well. Like it, it was, it, it actually worked really well. And it was, I think I only spent like $8,000 on it total, like maybe less, probably like $5,000. I had like a, an Indian firm and I was designing the entire user experience, which is the first one I had ever done. But I had seen Simon do it really well over like Skype. We basically were Skyping every day. Uh, and I just saw what he was doing and just wondered if I could do the same thing and ended up selling that asset. I don't want to call it a company because we didn't have any revenue at that point, but it was a really cool asset. We ended up selling it to a Canadian financial institution that still owns it today. Um, I bet you that's getting a little bit of heat or uh, it'd be interesting to see with all the cryptocurrency stuff that's going on. Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, it, had they launched at the time, I know Venmo had just launched right when we launched uh, or right when we were going to launch. Hmm. Um, so that was kind of like the it money transfer startup of the moment. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm not sure what direction we would have taken with it because I didn't even think of the concept of creating a different currency at the time. Like, I hadn't even thought that Bitcoin was like a, a possibility. I, that, that was not my idea. I just wanted to send people money for free. Yeah, um, right. Instead of all the pain of all the other crap that we go through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but over the course of time, kind of your eyes open to possibilities with every single company that I got involved with or started and sold or started and didn't sell. Um, because there were several that didn't really do much of anything as well. They, you know, basically will show you a little bit more about what you're capable of doing, what's possible and what's not. Well, and I think that's a, that's a good uh, segue into understanding, you know, so with the, with the mentality of, you know, you're flipping and getting into the businesses for various reasons. Um, we've had some people on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with the Rhodium community, um, Chris Yates or the, the Quiet Light Brokerage or FE International, some of the people that are kind of in the same. Yeah, we actually sold the company for, with FE International. At one okay. Point. Thomas Smale has been on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's it, and I think the, the online community has got the more of that mentality than the more of the Main Street. And, you know, as you're getting into these businesses, what, what's your mindset? Are you, are you starting with the end in mind? Is it a passion? What, are, what was it that you're trying to accomplish as you're getting into these companies? With most of them early, my goal was always everything was a stepping stone. Um, everything I wanted to create to unlock newer, bigger opportunities. I wanted to create another larger calling card to give other folks confidence enough in me to give myself more confidence in myself to go do bigger and better things entrepreneurially. And over the course of time, I, I didn't even realize it, but I was developing a little bit more validation that, that I knew what I was doing and folks would start to come to me for things. There was a while there where I was on like everyone's podcast and I was now teaching a lot of people and then realized 
very quickly that my own growth stalled because I was focused so much on providing knowledge that I wasn't focused as much on acquiring knowledge. And I was so focused on being the teacher that I hadn't spent very much time being the student. So I basically dropped off the face of the earth, like social media wise, uh, about maybe a year and a half, two years ago and haven't come up for, for air since. Um, and, and basically have just been heads down learning as much as I can from everyone I can. Uh, this is one of the first shows that I've actually been on. I've can't, I mean, I've nice, probably canceled I love it. <laughs> handful of, and it was just the, the perfect time, um, to do it, you know, because I had, I just had a little bit of a window, but, um, and it was on something that I, I had not spoken on before. So, um, that's cool. But, but, uh, yeah, man, like it, it mindset wise, it's never really been, I want to do this thing for the rest of my life for me. Do you think that's helped you along the way as you're looking at when and how you should, you know, pull the trigger to sell the companies? I think it's helped me up to now, but I don't necessarily think it will help me anymore. I think that the the entrepreneurs I respect most now are the ones who not only are great at starting things, but are great at finishing. And that's the reputation that I don't know that I quite have yet, to be fair. Uh, I think I'm very good at starting things and kicking them off and starting to grow revenue. But in most cases, I've sold before things have become what I imagine they could. I've, I've not stayed until they've reached where I felt I could take them. Why don't um, you but, uh, elaborate into one of the, can you, are you thinking of one particular company that you could have done different things with? Had you stuck oh, with it? In hindsight, all of them, but uh, there was a, let's see, there was a company called Cyber Superpowers that I had started after, right after I sold Workout Box. And it was basically like a rent and engineer company. We, we were, selling like fractional engineering resources to companies who didn't necessarily need a full-time engineering team. Uh, we would do work on retainer for, I think we started at like $1,500 a month or something like that. And you would get an engineer part-time and uh, we would manage the project for you. And it was like absurdly cheap. And, and, you know, by rights, it was only supposed to be that cheap for market validation, but the demand for it exploded. We were, I didn't even do any marketing at all, but we were at about like 150,000 in revenue in 11 months, just organically, like people were just calling me and it's not a whole, t uh, a ton if you're actually proactively going out and, and selling, but it was enough for, for market validation for sure. And had I shored up processes a little bit more and systemized a little bit better and began to actually proactively make sales and create a sales pipeline and that sort of thing, that company probably would have gone to, you know, upper six figures in year two, mid seven figures in year three, low eight figures in year four, et cetera. Yeah, um, some serious because potential. It, definitely. And it's, it's predictable revenue and there's, there's demand for what you're offering. And I just hated every single day of it. It was not what I set out to do. I wanted to, to build cool things with great folks. And I ended up managing people who did not understand what took engineers so long to do their job, which is <laughs> everyone who ever hires an engineer, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I, I used to manage a bunch. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who never, who, who's never been an engineer, or who's never built things to the web or built apps or anything like that. It's not something that even if you can ideate on it overnight, it's not easy to do. It's 
it does take time. It takes careful planning. And some people make it look easy. Some people make it look simple, but it's engineering. Mm-hmm. It, so it takes time and, and effort and, and know-how and collaboration. And, and so you basically have to try to figure out a way to keep people happy. And that was my job, to keep upset people happy. And it was just <laughs> not something I enjoyed to do. Our old business was, out, was outsource IT. No one ever yeah. calls you because they're like having a really good day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so we ended up selling that company to a graphic arts firm in Manhattan. Unfortunately, we kind of botched that sale because the sale came from like a referral from a community that I really trusted. And the gentleman who bought it didn't know anything about buying or running a a development company. Um, and he actually, (laughs) during the process asked Hey, do you know any courses about like online courses about running a software development company? Oh my gosh. (laughs) But I was just ready to be done with it. I I told my dad I just wanted to shut it down. He's like, no, you can sell it. It's come on, there's value there. So I did. But unlike some of the prior companies, we did not go through escrow and we did not go through a broker. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just did seller financing and we did installments because they wanted to just augment their. You did seller financing for a guy that didn't know anything about engineering. <laughs> we did seller financing because they were a really successful graphic arts firm and oh, they just wanted it, to like yeah, augment yeah. their existing business. And I was like, okay, you know what? Mm-hmm. Like came really highly, highly recommended. I know who you're doing business with. So it's a no brainer that mm-hmm. if you take these, these folks that I've been managing really effectively for a year, granted they were a little bit overworked, but you know, my, you know, my team was, was pretty solid for me. Um, mm-hmm. They, the staff, immediately jumped into bed with uh, a team with a completely different managerial style and it did not mesh well with the way that they preferred to work. And so they basically stopped working as hard. Uh, And that the company that bought, you know, that bought our company basically said, we're not, we're not going to pay you. We're going to, like they had given us a little bit of a down payment, but they said, we're not going to pay you anything else. And that was at the time that was my income that I had just sold them my income with the expectation of income back for them. So I was going to start another project, which I had sunk a bunch of money into already. So suddenly I was in a bad spot, you know, and I was, I was like the primary breadwinner in my household at the mm-hmm. time with my girlfriend. And, um, we were, we were living in Los Angeles next to the beach. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, Oh, oh no what? <laughs> yeah. So that was a taste of, you know, one of many, dips on the entrepreneurial roller coaster. So, I I mean, you touched on a lot of really key and interesting things, Travis, because I think there's this, you know, other than just quickly selling your company and you're done and you walk away, there's so many intricacies on, like you said, no escrow broker, seller financing, all these things to think about. When you look at the the various exits that you've gone through, other than you, I mean, you've touched on quite a few good ones right there. What are some of the things that you would, you would do differently to make sure that you're you're protecting yourself throughout the exit. Um, the main thing is I'm going to do as much work through. I mean, first and foremost, I want uh, more partners that are involved in my companies. That I was a sole founder in that project. It was all bootstrapped, uh, and it was all my capital from a prior exit. So I I had taken a big gamble with it, and it was paying off. I just hated life. Um, so mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily have to sell and I was really excited to, and I got the excitement of getting it off of my plate 
that kind of blinded me a little bit on some of the things that I should have done that aren't exactly fun. Mm -hmm. Doing your own diligence on a buyer is not fun because you want to feel like the situation is going to happen the way that you want it to. You also want to ensure that you're taking your time and getting the best deal for you based on like, and, and the most safe deal for you. So getting cash in escrow and ensuring that you're, you know, potentially taking uh, stock in the buyer's company to ensure that they don't feel like they just have a free license to do it. Screw you. Yeah. Screw you because they're tied to you. So that sort of thing would be smart dealing with an investment bank at that dollar figure that we sold was not a, a realistic thing, but at certain dollar figures, it's definitely something that you want to look at, at doing, going with a broker or an investment bank. Um, just because you have more, you know, full-time resources on making things bulletproof. And if you're just doing it yourself, getting cash up front is, is a better, a better move. Oh, and there's so many things. I mean, like, you know, trying to run a company, sell a company and then manage your own emotions. I mean, it's just a, you know, it's a constant like war zone inside your head. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. As you're, you know, when you look at the, the, the sales that you've gone through, what things would you identify or would you do now that significantly would increase the value of business. You, had met, you mentioned predictive revenue when you're talking about uh, cyber superstars, but you know, what are some other sure. things that you realized maybe after the fact that you would have tweaked or done differently to increase the value of the company and the multiple or the transferability of it? Yeah, great question. Um, I would have taken um, pieces of the process and um, gone from a service business to a tech-enabled service business. Um, and built some proprietary technology to systemize and automate a lot of our processes. Uh, that way, it would feel a lot more like stability. Over the course of time, we then take the product market fit that we had as, at a, ser- as a service business and then pivot you know, mostly or completely to a software as a service offering and lock people into lower dollar but still like B2B size monthly recurring payments and make most things as self-service as possible. Uh, we had the plans to do that with that company, but it was a little bit more slow going. Um, since I was like the sole founder and, and one of the biggest, the bigger movers and shakers in the company, a lot of the work was down to me. And at that stage, when you are that person, you don't have a business, you have a job. <laughs> <All right>. So <laughs> like, it's difficult to sell your company if you have a, if you have a job. So um, because you're not going to sell yourself. And maybe some people will exit and they'll put golden handcuffs on themselves for a couple of years and continue to run the company. But that's not really something that I had any designs to do at the time. You, that was perfect. That was absolutely like how you phrased that because um, I want to maybe peel back and get some examples from you and how, because I think there's so many people, Travis, that struggle with, they're in the service business or they became very intelligent and they're, they've got a niche, but moving that i mean attorneys and accountants and everybody online that anybody that's a thought leader to move and switch from uh the service to tech enabled and then to software that's very intriguing i think a lot of people need to start looking at that explain maybe a couple examples or some things that you've seen and how to even explain i guess maybe elaborate i was probably the yeah best way to ask great it. question uh I, I'll, I'll actually use a current example so so right now i mean I'm, I'm currently the head of growth at lottery.com. I came on as like the first uh, executive level hire there and did not anticipate coming on as a full-time 
employee, uh, I was actually running a consulting company called Viral Hero, um, which I still run today. I, I didn't there for a year. I kind of shut it down, but I've picked it up since. And um, basically that company is injecting kind of standard growth processes and viral product mechanics and contagion modeling into software companies and basically helping them grow through recruiting their own users to grow their product for them. Um, and, and, and that, I mean, sounds great, but it is, you know, it's, it's tricky unless you know what you're doing. And thankfully the last couple of companies have kind of showed me that roadmap to do so. And now what I'm doing with that company kind of as a side project in contrast to us building lottery.com, um, is I'm resurrecting the brand to work with companies and create processes and software for like to kind of like map virality and the kind of intricate nuances company by company that can lead to that. Um, so it's, it's over the course of planning and cause let's be honest, most, most, um, firms, most service firms are heavy spreadsheet users. Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize are spreadsheets are programs. Right. Um, so if you can take what you do in your spreadsheets, 